Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I am the legend that is Big Jim and I'm joined by my partner in crime who is also a legend. Andy Good, I'll call it. Yes, I'm here. I'll call it. Yeah, Goody. You are remote and producer Rob's not. It's me and Rob. We're in the studio. We're in fucking London. Lads, lads, lads. There we go. We're missing you, Goody. Why are you not here? It's ironic, isn't it? You've come down from Scotland. Rob's come down from the northeast. I'm not in there because the train strikes and I live closest to studios. So apologies. It looks good in there, boys. It is. You could have drove the 120 grand Range Rover, but you decided not to and stay home. But that's absolutely fine. That is your prerogative. I know it's been a busy and a heavy weekend. So the negativity out of the way, let's talk about what we've got coming up in the show because the greatest tournament, the Six Nations, the greatest tournament in rugby is back. And we're obviously going to talk about it. But what have we got, Andrew? Talk us through the show. Well, we're going to talk about almost one of the greatest comebacks of all time almost. in Six Nations it, history. You don't need to put the almost yeah. in there. Andrew, do not yeah. need to put almost. We beat Wales in Cardiff. We're on for a grand sub, but carry on. There you go. Wales should have won, but we'll get on to that. We're going to talk about an epic Irish victory over in France. Easy. And we're going to talk about an awesome England victory in Rome. A what? An awesome England victory in Rome. And on that note, even better, we've only gone and got the Italy captain, Michele Lamaro, as a guest today. So looking forward to chatting to him. Yes, we have. So settle back. Enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Goody, you missed it. Rob, in the studio, he was getting all emotional on me. I said, no, leave it. Leave it for the pod. He was talking to me about the whistleblowers, Doc, which I was talking up last week, and I don't think he believed me because he texted me after the podcast. He's like, mate, is this Doc any good or not? I said, I don't promote shit <laughs> on my social media unless it's good, unless I'm going to put my name to it. And not only did I promote it on the social media, I promoted it on the pod here, Andrew, and you know... We only promote what we believe in and what's good. Rob, you enjoy the whistleblowers? How good was that? Nick Berry nearly had me in tears, like genuinely. Nearly or did? Bit of dust in the eye, was it? <laughs> How good was it? It was awesome. I've had loads of great feedback from it. Like Yakko Piper, yeah. my mates are texting me like, Yakko's a legend. You know what I loved? The Angus Gardner bit, mm. where he's shadow boxing. Obviously, shadow boxing, if you're an MMA fighter, cool <laughs> as fuck. Angus Gardner running around the field, pretending he's making calls. It's not fucking quite as cool as the shadow boxing, is it? But genuinely, really good doc. Really, really impressed. well done. So big shout out to everyone who was involved in that. And if you haven't watched it, if you're not one of the, and genuinely, 300,000 people have watched it on Rugby Pass TV. And I said it's a sign up to go and watch it. It actually is a sign up now, but I think it, was, it wasn't it was a sign up for the first two or three days. It's free to go and watch. I've told my mates about it. I've had loads of messages saying, oh, actually, you were right. It's brilliant. So the whistleblowers on Rugby Pass TV, this ain't a hard sell, even though it sounds like it. This is a watch for anyone who likes rugby, even if you don't like rugby, but if you don't like rugby, you're probably not fucking listening to the podcast. So <laughs> for all you Rugby Pod listeners, go and watch whistleblowers on Rugby Pass TV. I promise you, an hour and 20 of your time, and you'll come back and say, that was one of the best rugby docs I've ever seen. It's class. Big shout out to them. Busy week then, Jim. We had a, a bit of interaction over the weekend. Rewind the clock. How was your week? Well, Tuesday night in Cardiff, you were missed. You missed your partner in crime, eh? Yeah, yeah. I had the great Scott Quinnell. Have you seen the fucking dragon? Well, we did by the end of it, because he said it a hundred times. So <laughs> it was good. And Alex Cuthbert as well. Big shout out to him. Friend of the show. But... Tuesday night in Cardiff, missed you, Andrew, but I know you made up for it. Tuesday night, who drinks on a Tuesday night? Well, they're doing Cardiff, dry January, what? But I know you made up for it with a few Guinness and Black in the lead-up to the games at the weekend. No, I was thirsty, but it wasn't Guinness and Black. It was Camden Town Stout and Blackcurrant. What, with Blackcurrant in that? Yeah, mate, yeah, mate. It was class, actually. But even further rewind, I was over in Dublin last week with the legend Simon Zebo. Doing a bit of content. He's a good boy, isn't he? Zeeves is a good lad. He is a good boy. So yeah, busy week doing two games down at Flatiron Square, FaceTiming my mucker gym with a load of Welsh lads. Big shout out to the Welsh Exiles boys, actually. They were good fun on Saturday. And yeah, I thought the comeback was on your face and Kelly Brown's face as we're FaceTiming. You're not even sat in the stadium. You're in corporate watching it on a TV. Not just corporate. In the locker room, mate. In Shanks' event space, which was class, by the way. You're right. I didn't want to go into the stadium. Carnage, which is good, like good carnage, but not carnage for me. I wanted to watch the game properly. And yeah, I nearly walked out of the locker room. Shanks is joined and just said, I'm out of here. Because it was history repeating itself. 
before our eyes. 2010, wasn't it? 2010 all over. Mate, we were 27 yeah. nil up at half time. 20, and I forgot. I was like, well, they're coming back. And then you actually stop and think a couple of days after. It was 27 nil after about 42 minutes, basically, in the first half. Like, we scored all our points. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, this is... This is embarrassing for Wales. Keep it under 50. Banter on the podcast. Here we go. Pants ball down. Yeah. And then the tweets are going. So Andrew went quiet because basically he was saying, oh, Wales are going to beat Scotland by four. And I was like, right, loser shaves the red. And I don't know if you noticed that I deleted that tweet a little bit further on. And I posted it back up I after the you. game. I deleted it. I had to. I was like, oh, how are Scotland winning by 27 points? It was absolutely yeah. crazy. And it looked mental, the atmosphere. I'm thinking I'm going to FaceTime you with these lads and you're going to be in the stadium, you're not going to be able to hear a thing, but you just gave me the bird. You and Kelly Brown just stuck your middle finger up down the camera and you looked depressed, didn't you? Because Scotland... Shell-shocked. Yeah. Should we get into the game? Go on then. I mean, you start the first half and Wales, bless them, look like an under-15s team that's never played before. Scotland looked like you could win the Grand Slam, lads. The Finn Russell and Duan van der Merwe show was just ridiculous, wasn't it? Mm. Creating magic, creating havoc. And there were so many good performances. Tuopolotu was great as well for Scotland. But you're on fire. And I'm thinking at half-time, 20-0. Score two or three minutes into the second half, 27-0. This could be Warren Gatland's most embarrassing ever game as head coach. Could have been 50 points. But then... I reckon you went into the Scotland changing rooms at half-time, Jim, because the discipline went down the pan in that second half. And I'm like, that's Jim all over. Jim's got in, had a word, said, lads, we're out in Cardiff afterwards. We're out tonight. Yeah. And the discipline just went downhill, didn't it? 14 pens on the bounce, two yellow cards. We're going out either way because Cardiff's a great night, lads. But my word, it was, you just couldn't believe what you were seeing. And look, you know... Squeaky bum. It was. And we'd had bigs on the podcast and you chat to anyone. I had George Cruz and Ben Youngs in the studio today and we were talking because England have got Wales this week, obviously. And Cruzo was saying, like, Wales, they never like... And he wasn't saying it off the back of the weekend. He was just like, his experiences of playing against Wales, like, they don't go away. And I'm thinking, well, that's exactly what happened. Like, I don't know what's been said at half-time... You've obviously got Gats at the helm. You've got a very young Welsh team. We were chatting about it last week, obviously, with the great Dan Bigger, about how they were going to play and Costello and like giving him the keys to the kingdom. It was embarrassing for them in the first half. Yeah, it was. But it was embarrassing for Scotland in the second half because people are asking before, as Scotland contenders for the Six Nations, I'm like, yeah, saw the game on the Friday night, that what we'll come on to, and thinking, yes, Ireland are head and shoulders. We've got France next week. We can beat France considering how they played on Friday night. Then the second half came, I was like, we've still got a problem, haven't we? We've still got an issue around our killer instinct, our belief when the shit hits the fan. And in saying all that, and you might want to go more into the game, Goody, but in saying that, we still won the game and we nearly got a bonus point at the end of the match. And in years gone by, we could have lost that. Well, we did. We In years gone by, we've lost that game and everyone's laughing at us. And as much as... We are laughing a little bit about it now. We had a historic, I'm going to call it that, historic win down in Cardiff and it gave us a scare. I think that game has been very positive for us because we did play so well in the first half and we got scared in the second half. We got rattlesnaked to show that if we are off, it doesn't matter what team we're up against, it's the Six Nations, it's the greatest rugby competition in the world and it doesn't matter who you're playing you can be made to be embarrassed. And Wales were embarrassed in the first half and we were embarrassed in the second half. Do you know what I loved about it, actually? After the game, and we're big fans of Finn on here, and you talk about, you know, people talk about him as a player and how exciting he is, but also he was captain on Saturday. We spoke a few weeks back about the two captains and obviously Rory Darge wasn't involved, so Finn's captain. But what I loved about it was how honest his interview was after the game. And basically just coming out and saying, look, we were telling the boys not to go into rucks. And they still did it, whether that's the coaching, the captain, the leadership group. And so that's the issue for Scotland. Is it because they're under pressure, they just panicked? Or was it because they just weren't listening to the bigger voices and they were just trying to fix things themselves individually? That You know what that's like. It's like knock-on of errors that build and build and build, backing up an error, just trying to fix something. And so part of me is like, were Scotland that bad in the second half? We'll probably look at it and go, yes. But actually, Wales were completely different. 
They started moving the ball a lot, putting Scotland under pressure. And you know what the games are like. Momentum is massive, isn't it? And Wales got their backs up. You know, the crowd got louder and louder. There was a couple of errors from Scotland that gets magnified from discipline. Then you get a couple of guys in the bin and then you're thinking, hold on for another 10 minutes well, until we get back to 15. And actually, Scotland changed in the last sort of five or six minutes, seven minutes when they were really under the pump in terms of the scoreline. And their discipline improved again, didn't it? So they got more line speed in their defence towards the back end, end up getting turnovers. Duran van der Merwe gets held up over the line for what should have been a bonus point try. And then you're sitting pretty and maybe... I do agree with you. I think it's a good thing for Scotland. Because if you go on and win that by 50, you think you will beat us, right? And then you go into the France game thinking, well, France just got hosed by Ireland. We're going to smash them. And that might be a bigger issue further down the line. So do you know what? There's a lot of learnings for Scotland around that. Finn, as a leader, I thought was great. You only had to look at his face after the game, didn't you, with those pictures that have been going around. It's one that ordinarily Scotland lose in years gone by. A game like that when you are under pressure... Jim Hamilton's on the pitch, you lose that game without a shadow of a doubt. But the fact is now, they've come through it, it's a scare, they're one from one. If they beat France this week at home, and they'll be very confident about doing that, seeing what France put out on Friday night, but also seeing what they put out in the first half against Wales. And then you get to round three, and it's England played 2-1-2, Scotland played 2-1-2, and here we go up to Edinburgh. Here we go. You know what I did think? If it was the other way around, if it was Wales played like that in the first half, I do wonder whether Finn as captain at half-time would have shaved that line out of his head and come back out with a skinhead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As in first half, you look yeah. a million dollars for him. That line is yeah. ballsy as a captain to go out there with a big line in the side of your head. But then yeah. the second half, and he's doing the interview at the end, because we had a lad called Gordon Reid who uh, played for Scotland with us, Goon. That was his nickname, Goon. I'm not named him that. He named himself that. And he's playing for Glasgow against Bath. And he's got a Mohican. First half, he's getting absolutely hosed in the scrum. <laughs> Second half, he comes out with the moment he can shaved off. He shaved it oh, off. He's done it half time. <laughs> he's done it half time. Yeah, I was thinking a little bit about that after the game. But Finn, what a legend! But Wales, like with Thomas Williams coming on, made a massive difference. You and Lloyd as well. I know Costello went off injured. He made a big difference as well. But they've got some quality players. Like Aaron Wainwright, man of the match. Yeah, he he's a wicked good player. Very good player. Yeah. And this is the thing, like, again, chatting to Caruso and Youngsy, like, they were like, it's the number eight. So in these Six Nations and Northern Hemisphere, you need an eight that can get you over the game line. Something that you could argue in the bigger games, Scotland, we might lack. You know, England, we can talk about England as well without that kind of big ball carrying eight specifically. But Aaron Wainwright, when you've got players like him and Tommy Raphael, I'm going to go as far as saying Tommy Raphael is world-class. Any game I've seen him play, yeah, he is world-class. Like, to put his head in there, very rarely gets injured, touch wood. Do you know what? I look at Tommy Raphael when he competes at the breakdown... And I'm just going to say this. I think, and I don't want to preempt anything. I think, how's your knee not been snapped? Because the angles he gets his body at and the width that he gets in when he's over the ball with his knees and stuff, I'm like. He's a bag of custard. Do you know what? That's why. <laughs> not in <laughs> great shape. Rob, why are you laughing, mate? Rob, you look all right, actually. You're pretty lean at the minute. But maybe that's what it is. Maybe, like, he's not. He's amazing. Yeah. He is amazing, isn't he? Tommy Rafael, he is every breakdown, you think he can steal it, right? Which, at that level. You see good players at club level or whatever and they're sniffing around it. Tommy Rafael, every breakdown, he sniffs out when he can go in. He knows when not to go in. But when he gets in there, I'd say 80% of the time he's turned the ball over when he's going for it properly himself. So he's phenomenal. And, you know, other players were outstanding. Daffy Jenkins, first game of skipper. Quality, quietly very good. Just the work rate on him. He made 17 tackles. And this isn't sort of glory things at all. But like you said then, quietly going about his work, the work rate, 17 tackles was the most anyone made in the game by far. He's hit 39 rucks. You talk about unseen, dogged work. You know, you, you've got Aaron Wainwright getting a load of plaudits for the, all the carrying stuff, but he can't do that without people like Daffy Jenkins hitting rucks continuously and just creating fast ball and doing the donkey work, right? And sometimes you don't really notice players in a game until you look back at it a second time. So I'm watching it 12 Camden Stouts deep in the pub. And then I had to watch it again when I got back on Sunday to go through the detail of the game. And you see how much he puts into the game, Daffy Jenkins, without pats on the back, without looking for everyone to give him the big hero, mate, you've done well. He's a grafter. 
and an ideal man to lead the team. It's inspirational. I, 39 rocks that you hit. I don't think I hit 39 rocks in my whole career. Yeah. Including in training as well. So he's done it in one game. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And their scrum was good as well. So positives for Wales as well. Scrum was good. Corey, yeah. Domachowski, my goodness me. He's got some Eastern European kind of strength grunt to him. Welsh are probably very similar, but he was good and good scrum. So future's bright for Wales having seen that. And that, for me, from a Welsh perspective, is very positive going forward. Get your pants pulled down. You're showing everyone what you've got, which is basically a minus 40 willy. Right? Yeah. A, minus, a minus 40 <laughs> tiny, degrees willy. The skids. The skid, yeah. they've, sh- they've shot themselves out. Everywhere. The skids were huge. So you know how that feels, and then you also know how it feels when you're rolling. You're rocking and rolling. So, yeah, yeah a few changes for Wales in the next match against England, I'm sure. But I'm happy from a Scottish perspective. I know they're maybe a little bit annoyed with how it unfolded, but a win is a win. And the way that we played in the first half and the fact that we're up next against France at home with how they played, I'm quietly confident. I'll be honest, I don't want to jinx it though. Yeah, I think everyone's just focused on that second half. Gregor Townsend said it feels like a loss to some players possibly, but you've got to remember, you ain't won there in 22 years, have you lads? Yes, you know, you're frustrated with certain parts of the game, but like you said, Jim, a win's a win there. There's only three teams now that can get the Grand Slam, which England and Scotland are both one of them. They are. Rob, give us a line on Scotland and Wales. Give us a line on each. I thought Ben White was really good at nine. Yeah, yeah. very good. I thought he good was kicking. great in the first half. Good kicking. And uh, Nick Tompkins. And Nick Tompkins. Nick Tompkins. Yeah, class. he was very good. Yeah, like a proper leader. Like hard block, obviously friend of the pod. Had him on a couple of times. Like really good, top class centre. Yeah, and with Scotland going forward, you're confident we can win the Grand Slam? Absolutely fucking not. No. <laughs> bottle drops. There you go. <laughs> Absolute bottle drops. Don't be horrible, mate. You're actually closer to Edinburgh than you are to London, so you're closer to me. That is true. Stay on, Rob. We want more of that from Rob. I know, we need more. We mean, just being honest, I don't know whether he really believes that or he's just panicked at the last minute and he just thought, I'm just going to go no, with like does. the narrative of people gone by. Andrew, talking of bottle jobs, and that's probably a harsh thing to say, but France, they bottled it on Friday, Nate, didn't they? Um... Well, a lot went against them. And the first thing I'm going to say about France, when I say things went against them, all the news before the game, we've known DuPont's not playing and he's their biggest star, probably the best player in the world. What I still can't get my head around, Sunday night he's playing for Toulouse at fly-off. So why wouldn't you pick him for the first two games? I get he's going off to play sevens, but here's the thing. You could have picked him against Ireland you could have picked him against Scotland and then you could have said, off you go, lad, go and play sevens. And then at least you've got your best player playing the first two games. But he played 10 for Toulouse on Saturday and absolutely ripped it up. But he couldn't play for France on Friday night against Ireland. So, I don't know. You were over in Paris the other week, weren't you, Jim? Yes, I was. And I'm thinking, Jim, you went to Paris, you went into the French camp, you tried to talk to them about discipline and you tried to talk about their lineouts because both of them were absolutely horrific. <laughs> I thought there's the influence of Jim Hamilton again. Yeah, it might well have been my touch when I went over there. Albeit I didn't talk to any current French players, I don't think. So it wasn't me. I'll be honest. So I watched it with my mate Craig. Big shout out to Craig from Revere, if you want a state agent in Edinburgh. But I watched it with him and we're obviously casually watching it. But... I was surprised with the lack of fire in the belly of the French. And I think I know the reason yeah. why. I think they've been burned Go on. by the World Cup. I think the energy and the emotion going into that World Cup and going out how they did, losing Anton Dupont, the game not being in Paris maybe and being in Marseille. And yes, the commentators were saying the atmosphere was amazing. And you're also up against, I'm going to say it, Probably the best team in the world, even though they didn't win the World Cup. Third best team. Are, yeah, Third best team. Uh, behind yeah, England you, and South Africa. Yeah. You're up against the best team in the world. Yeah. 19 games and lost yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. But it was just a weird feel around the French. I thought Winnie Antonio retired and Talfi Fanua. Winnie Antonio did retire post-World Cup and then... He came back. <laughs> well, Galtier went cap in hand and said, here's a load of cash, please come back. Because you can't replicate how big he is, can you? Well, this is what I mean. So I just don't know. You do wonder when you look at the French team and there is no DuPont and we know how good he is. Like you said, he absolutely carved up for... He carved up every week, but he carved up for Toulouse wearing 10. But you do wonder how they went into that game. It just... It, they looked a little bit off just from the yeah. very start from when they ran out. And you know that Ireland, how pissed off they are and how much they mean business and how well coached they are. And it was just looked like a massive gulf between quality in the two teams. Ireland were wicked. France missed 
DuPont hugely, but this is probably more so about Ireland and what they did to them. Yes, Willems's yellow card, then red card. What are you doing? Mate, the clear out. Yeah, first one's unlucky, but he has got his arm tucked. So that's the problem. The shape of his arm, and that's what they're looking at. He clips Porter square on the nut, but the fact that his arm is tucked, he's trying to blitz him there, Jim. Mm. We all know that. But you can't blitz someone with a closed shoulder and your arm down by your side ready to absolutely give it hell for leather. And so that's, okay, that's a little bit unlucky, but it is a bit daft. The second one, well, it's a straight red card in itself, isn't it? Because it got upgraded via the bunker as a straight red card. But I'd have just thought you'd have learned when you've got a yellow card, okay, it's for a clear out. You've got to be whiter than white after that, haven't you? In how you approach any contact, any collision, even though you're a big lad and you chuck it around. He's gone in upright as you like to try and smash Caelan Doris. When Caelan stepped around someone and he's he's joining a tackle doing it as well so it's not like he's been caught out he's trying to absolutely blitz him as hard as he can upright and there's no decision there it's a straight red card so that doesn't help them but Ireland oh, good. were off the charts good mm. you look at the detail of their attack Ty Byrne friend of the show was off the charts I know McCarthy gets man of the match McCarthy was brilliant and we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, when we both saw him properly in the flesh at Leicester when Leinster come over and dismantled Leicester as well. That combination has got everything. Tyg Byrne is mm. a proper... He could be a back, Tyg Byrne, the way he plays, the way he understands the game, his handling, his lines of running. They're just a little one where it leads to Jameson Gibson Park's try. The How hard he's worked from the line out to get round the corner and then just the detail of getting his hands up as the ball is going across him gives half a second for the defender to sit down, which opens the hole up. Bundyaki goes through, gets the offload away to Gibson Park. And it's just, that's how well coached they are, right? They're a proper outfit. They've not skipped a beat since the World Cup. And you go back and everyone's like, yeah, quarterfinals, quarterfinals. They lost to New Zealand in probably one of the greatest games of rugby we've seen. Top five best games ever, probably. And they lost by the finest of margins. If Kelleher hadn't have broken off on his own on that driving line out in the World Cup, they'd have gone to a World Cup semi-final, possibly or probably won the thing. And then we'd be talking about mm-hmm. Islanders world champions, but we're not because they lost the quarterfinal. They've been hosed in quarterfinals and underperformed years gone by in World Cups, but this team is a proper outfit. And like you said before, head and shoulders above anything else in the Six Nations at the minute, I think. Their skill set at the line is the best in yeah. the world. It reminds me of, remember when New Zealand were at their very best and it was like the yeah, yeah, yeah. innovation of like nothing we had ever seen before. We were like, oh my God, they're counter-attack, their forwards can play. So Ireland have matched that and then they've gone beyond that. And this is the thing, when you actually look at Ireland as a team, and this is me kind of profiling them aesthetically, yeah, Dan Sheehan's like big for a hooker. Porter's not massive for a loose head. Ty Furlong's a big lad. Joe McCarthy's a big lad, but they're not like French size, South African size players. Like Caelan Doris isn't a big eight. Josh van der Fleer's not a massive seven. Yeah. Peter O'Mahony's not a monster of a six. But they found a way now because they are so well drilled and they are so physical at the line and their clear outs that they are unplayable when they're at that kind of speed and at that level on the front foot. And that's the big thing. And we'll talk about England because trying to look at the England team being like, well, how are England going to play without Billy Vanapola? Can't get on the front foot. Like Ireland are basically, there's a framework there. If you're England or if you're a smaller team, if you're a Scotland and you don't have these big monsters, that's how you do it, right? And you look at Caelan Doris whipping out yeah. 20, 30 metre passes off his left hand. Just the, the skill set. And you've got Bundyaki, albeit he's put on a couple of layers, isn't he? He's, he's put on a couple of layers. <laughs> well, it's winter, mate. It's winter. It's winter. winter. We'll let him off. I think they had to get him a fan's jersey as well. You notice he didn't have his name and number on the back. He had to get one of the fan's jerseys, I think, to yeah. wear. <laughs> yeah, Shane Lowry's from the World Cup. <laughs> You're horrible, Jim. Bundyaki's class. You talk about the detail. It's the footwork just before contact that gets them that extra yard. Then the clean outcomes and the angles of clear out and their precision in that makes the ball so quick that it's then sometimes non impossible to defend against. And you only have to go to Jack Crowley putting Tyke Byrne through the hole because it was so quick, because they'd won a collision. And they don't have to win a collision and be 10 metres over the gain line. They only have to be one or two metres over a gain line with quick ball to then prevent the the fold from the French because it's so much further to go backwards around the ruck 
And then the speed of ball, Crowley's got decisions to make at the line. And the ball and the line that Tyg Byrne picks for his try, Jonathan Dante is a great defender. He doesn't know whether he's coming or going. He's trying to grab the food. He's trying to grab the clouds. I don't know what he's doing. But he's got a choice of two attackers to go for because of how threatening Ireland's attack is on the front foot, with quick ball, with options. And the fact that every player knows their role so well and understands lines to run to sit defenders down, whether you're a decoy, whether you're getting the ball, or actually anyone can get the ball at any time. And that's why they're so threatening. So it was brilliant from Ireland. Comfortably the best team in this tournament after round one. No one's ever done a back-to-back Grand Slam, to my belief. No. And they're obviously looking like that can be possible now. They've got England at Twickenham, Scotland last game. That'd be amazing. Imagine that, Jim. Dublin, Grand Slam decider. Scotland could even be in the Grand Slam decider, Jim. To win it as well as just to stop Ireland getting it. And I will be there. Pitch side, Andrew. The Big Jim Show live. I think we get one game. We get one moment during the Six Nations, and I think that that's the game where I'm going to be there pitch side. So, Grand Slam decider on Paddy's Day. And, oh, you know, we're talking World Cup levels so good. of hysteria, yeah, which yeah. I can't wait for. But yeah. I think France are rattled, Andrew. They've obviously got Sean Edwards. Their defence needs to improve. They've got Scotland who aren't as good as Ireland. I'm quite comfortable to say that at the weekend. But it's massive for France now. Massive for their coaching team, Fabian Galtier. Does DuPont come back? Mate, Fabian Gautier is too bothered about getting his old boy out on the beach. <laughs> That's what I've heard anyway. <laughs> if mine looked like his, I would. Yeah. How raging do you reckon Sean Edwards is then? Fuming. Fuming. Because like we've talked Sean up, haven't we? Like Defensively, they were all over the place. Like flying out. And again, this is because Ireland put them under the pressure. But... Do you know, it's the first time in the Six Nations that France have ever conceded five tries at home. The first? Yeah. First time they've ever conceded five tries in the Six Nations at home. Mm. So imagine Sean Edwards this week. You saw the clip from Full Contact from last year's Six Nations. Fucking kick the ball! And imagine him this week. Absolutely <laughs> raging. Understood that. Yeah. A positive, though, was seeing Pasolo Tulangi come on, which was good at the age of 19. He looks a little bit out of his depth. I feel a bit harsh saying that. He looks a little bit like, right, well, this is... This is big men now. This is like the real deal yeah. now. Uh, but it was great to see him get capped. Huge future in the game. Huge future for France. The dynasty of the two Alangis live on. But Robbie Nodding, do you, uh, how do you think he looked when he came on? Big. Yeah, big. He looked, I don't yeah. think he looked that big. I don't think he looked... I mean, 19 years old. I mean, it's a big shout being a bit harsh there. But you've come on and you're on the back foot. How weird is it? You've got two Alangis, right? And we've played with them all over their careers. You've got the elder boys play for Samoa. You've got Manu playing for England. And now you've got Pasolo, Manu's nephew, playing for France. It's just, and uh, like you said, the best tweet you did last week, Jim, was I remember holding Pasolo to Lange. And your best tweet was saying I dropped him. You fucking did drop him. I reckon you dropped him on his head. That's why hey, he's so big. I was trying to work out a tweet to send back and be like, yeah, that added to the bone density or whatever of him. But man, I held him as... I reckon he might have been one and he was about 19 stone then. Yeah. Like, I, it's, it's cra- crazy. It makes me feel like really old. Same with Manu. Like, I remember Manu knocking about to Alangi's yeah. house in a nappy, drawing on the wall, like drawing crayons on the wall. Be yeah, Jim, yeah, be yeah. Jim. And they play against him at a World Cup and he sits yeah. me down. I'm like, this ain't right. This is weird. But yeah, an incredible family. You know, they support themselves, they look out for themselves. And yeah, he did look a little bit out of his depth, like at the weekend. You're playing against Ireland, they're on the front foot, but he's got a massive future. He's going to be absolutely class. How do you think Crowley went? Wicked. I thought it was great. He just looked composed. Yeah, and all the eyes were on him, weren't they? Because it's the first game without Johnny Sexton since he's retired. And it's always been the biggest question around what... Ireland were going to do and what happens if Johnny's not fit and I think that actually they've managed it really well because he played more and more and he was trusted more and more and yes Johnny Sexton started coming off on 60 minutes in games and he had some big moments didn't he you know you go back to the World Cup and he had some big moments I think Sexton came off early in the South Africa game in the second half and Crowley was trusted to just see out the game and play his way and it looks very natural to him like he's been playing international rugby for and he has but he looks like he's been the man for a while he was calling the shots and and, okay yeah it's a lot easier to fit into a very cohesive team that way but he looked to the man of born I thought really controlled calling the plays a threat at the line understanding the options and it seamlessly whereas you could say the complete opposite about France losing DuPont 
it seemed very seamless with Crowley going in at 10. So super impressed. What are your thoughts on Crowley then, Jim? Look really, really good. Again, I profile the players aesthetically, how they look. Are they up for the athletic challenge? He looks big. He looks strong. He looks fit. He didn't look phased at all. Yeah, slotted straight in. I think there's no questions now that he's the 10 for Ireland going forward. I just think he fits the profile of the team, how they want to play. And yeah, like you said, it's easy when you're on the front foot. Like It's easy for any 10 to be playing like that. But yeah, big fan of his. I thought they were wicked. I thought Ireland was sensational and they are the favourites for the Grand Slam for sure. So Jim, let's talk about the big one. Italy against England. Biggest game of the weekend. You're happy with England, aren't you? That little bit of English that's inside of you. Mate, I'm good mates with a few of the guys. I, yeah, I, I like England. I thought they'd win more comfortably than they did. I think if we set the scene going in, everything coming out of camp was they wanted to play this fast, flowing style of rugby, which they did at times. It looked a bit uncomfortable, a bit, I don't know, clunky at times. But on the flip side of that, I thought Italy were brilliant. I thought Italy's attack, I thought their defence as well, the way that they defended, like yeah. blitzing up, made it really difficult for England. I don't think England were expecting Italy to defend South African-esque, just flying up out the line, fucking hitting and hoping. Yeah. But yeah, like I think kind of before we get into it, on the whole, I thought they were okay. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, is it? I think the snapshot for me watching the England team is we were talking about the backs, right, in the lead-up, the Northampton, the Harlequins way that they've played this year. And that lies in the back yeah. line, mainly. But actually, when you look at the forwards, right, when you look at the England forwards, you're thinking, well, if the backs are playing like that, how are the forwards playing? I know it's combined, and that's what was glaringly obvious, kind of watching the game and then evaluating it after. I'm like, right, what are you as a team? Are you scrummagers and maulers? Are you a team that plays a little bit of rugby and likes to play like Ireland with a bit of width and the skill set of the players. This isn't meant to sound harsh. This is just my kind of loose evaluation of looking at it. Like, I don't think Ethan Roots was man of the match. I thought he was good. As Rob said on the group chat, what did you say when I said about Ethan Roots? I said he was very busy. He said he was busy. That's what he said, which is great. Like, being busy is good. I watched I've... it back, though. Nick Mullins also said that he was very busy well. Well, that's why. That is what so... you call your subconscious, okay? Yeah, and then you're yeah. obviously He's regurgitating yeah. that. He got man of the match at six. Mate, he was good. He had a couple of big carries, a couple of big shots and stuff like that, but he weren't man of the match. Like, in my opinion, Menoncello in the centre, I thought Ignacio Bretz for Italy, and I thought Tommy Freeman was brilliant on the wing. I thought Freddie Shue was great as well. Yeah, amen. But that was the evaluation coming out of the game. If you want to play like that, what are you doing up front? Like, what's the plan up front? Because you haven't got the yeah. skill set of the players to marry up with the backs. But nonetheless, it was a good win. I don't really know what you get out of England. You can't judge them now. It's going to take a while. It's you know, week on week, the process to get to where they want to get to if they want to play that all-out attack. Obviously, Marcus Smith being out as well. Doesn't look like he's going to be back for the Six Nations. He's definitely out this week. No. George Ford coming in, struggled a little bit, in, well, struggled a lot in defence, coming down his channel. But I thought Italy were good. I think that that was what I came away from the game. I thought Italy looked like they had the bit between the teeth and England wanted to play a little bit more and looked decent at times. So are you saying there, Jim, that the forward play doesn't match the back play? You haven't got the offloading, Jouet-style, all-encompassing game, yet you've not got a team that's going to go monster a pack or drive line-outs over from 10 metres out of England of old. And they might go on to do that. So I was just looking at the kind of makeup and the DNA of the team. It's a bit bitty, which it's going to be, right? Because there's new players in the team. I love Sam Underhill. Big fan of Ben Earl, as you know. Marrow's good, and he was good at the weekend. Ollie Chesham's good. He was good at the weekend. Will Stewart. But is good good enough? Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that they shouldn't be out of the team, but I'm just comparing them to Ireland, I suppose. Like yeah. that, And that's the hard thing because... Yeah. I, you know, a lot of England fans expect England to do well and to win big games. And that was all. Yeah. There was positive shoots of how we're trying to change the way we play. So this endeavour there, you know, you can see shape. It was clunky. It was uncomfortable at times, I think, for some of them in that kind of environment. And it's a trust thing, isn't it? So you, you think about what's happened with England over the last two or three years. A lot of negativity. They played in a negative way. Yes, they got to third in the world at the World Cup, but it was all about a baseline of kick it, defend, 
set piece, we're not really going to play with the ball. So you can't expect us straight away just to be magically as good as Ireland. But the fact that they're trying and the fact that there were some good shapes on there, you know, Tommy Freeman, as you said, cut some brilliant lines. And let's not forget, going to Italy in round one, France nearly came a cropper there last year in the Six Nations. Ireland got past Italy last year on the way to a Grand Slam in a way that wasn't that comfy at times. And we're sort of judging Italy on them getting hosed by France and New Zealand in the World Cup, right? But it's a new setup. Gonzalo Casada looked a million dollars in his pinstripe suit. There's a lot more control to them. We had Kieran Crowley on here, didn't we, who was trying to change their mentality completely about how they play. And now they seem to have a nice balance of still having that ability to find the width, to find the space, execute. You know, they picked Joe Marler out a couple of times where Ollie Chesham's blitzed up and Joe Marler's stuck trying to be funny in the defensive line probably. And that created some some holes. So I think off the back of it, as you said, the Benetton players, the centre pairing, Menoncello and Brex have played together a fair bit this year on fire. Menoncello is an absolute unit as well. They're comfy in how they play together, even though there's a new coaching structure. And, you know, I'm going to be a little bit negative because I don't know what Steve Borthwick said after the game and um, what he meant about it, but he said, oh, at times we look like a team that had only had three training sessions together. He's had two weeks. What are you on about, Steve? If that's your excuse for it. But I thought we looked okay at times. And there's a lot of things to build on where we can get better week on week by getting used to playing together and going over it and understanding the lines and and just repetitive stuff in training. But that mindset has shifted purely from box kicking, only play rugby in their half, and then when we're in their half, kick it as well, to actually trying to put some shape on an attack. So it's not going to be perfect. We're not Ireland. You know, we're not Scotland at times because Scotland have been a team that haven't had much disruption from the World Cup and, you know, they're comfortable in how they play. But... I was pretty positive about having them played. Yes, you know, people are like, yeah, you only beat Italy by three points. But we got held up near the line, didn't we? A minute before Ioani scores a worldie of a try. And that could have been a 17-point victory for us, which actually looks pretty comfortable. So I was all right. England did what they needed to do. It's never an easy place first up to go to. It's a lot easier, and I mean this respectfully to Italy, if you play them later in the tournament when they are shattered they've got a few injuries <laughs> and you know you're yeah. more on a roll as a team and that's proofs in the pudding of the history of results right because they haven't got a massive amount of depth mm. but in reality England went over there did a job there was some good attacking intent there was some shape in attack it wasn't perfect Freeman was great I thought Chandler Cunningham South was brilliant as well off the bench you know some players were a little bit quiet but you know what it's a new way of playing a new vibe and hopefully we do get better week on week. Mm. And it's really hard, isn't it, when you talk about England because there is an expectation of England doing something and the fact that you, or you alluded to it last week, Andrew, many times, third best team in the world, finished third at the World Cup. We are. But we are. when you look at the profile of the team, even compared to Italy's, you know, Ignacio Brex, like Paolo Garbisi, his brother playing at nine. I know that's the first time they've had that partnership, but you've got Montiuani on the wing. You've got Canoni at eight, Seb Negri, Lamaro, friend of the show, who's coming on later. Like, it's a settled team. Like, that's a settled Italian team yeah. who are fucking raging because they're embarrassed at the World Cup. You know what I mean? So, yeah. the way that they defended, like, flying out the line, like, it's hard to play against, right? It's, it's a hard style to play against. So, I think England... You know, with the new caps that they've got, and this has your, been your bugbear in the past, is not picking players on form. Like these are players that are yeah. on form, right? That he's picked. This is the best there is out there. Arguably, a Zach Mercer, I think, could fit in there somewhere, and there'd be a couple 100%. of others. But on the whole, like that's England's best team trying to do something positive. New defensive system as well. Obviously, Felix Jones just bending. Mm. You know, you've got to give that chance, haven't you? Rob, look at you. Calling out defences as well. He's not happy. We're not happy. How's about that? Maybe there's a point in there. I don't know whether it's something that needs to be reinvented, but Rob picked up a couple of things. England players flying out of the line. Go on, Rob, give us a bit more, then Goody can answer. I just thought a couple of Italian tries, our defence looked a bit confused. When you say our, is that England? Are you, you're not Scottish, you're English, right? Our. They, they. They, that's they the other boy. Yeah. You were me no, today, Rob. No, Rob, Rob, you are English, Rob. And you're dead right. Felix Jones has come in. And let's remember, Slavkin's defence, right, is 
Massive units flying off the line, blitzing as hard as they can, spooking the life out of everyone who's got the ball and backing that up with physicality. Now, obviously, that's the way that Felix Jones coaches teams to defend with the blitz, flying off the line. And it's easier for some players to do it than others. It's also going into a new system. And you have to look at the exactly what Rob said. You look at a couple of the tries and someone will look at this and go, Oli Chesham's flown out the line, that's his fault. But what happens is... He's trying to take the line speed up. Other players have reacted. And the first one, Joe Marler's on the inside. He can't react because he's not quick enough. And people will just blame that on Oli Chesham. But I can guarantee you Felix Jones would have been encouraging Oli Chesham to go and do that. And that's how he wants his team to defend. And it's not comfy at times when you're not used to doing it time after time after time. And it's a new system for England. So it will take time. The problem is... The deeper we get into the tournament, the better the players get, all due respect. So Finn Russell will have a field day against that sort of stuff up in Scotland, unless it's absolutely pishing down with rain. You know, the Irish team, how good they are, round four, and then France in round five. So you only get better by doing it repeatedly and you're doing it under pressure in games. Now, it's a new system. It's how Felix Jones defends. He's just won back-to-back World Cups, right? So he'll 100% believe and that's the best way to defend. His issue is... He hasn't got the athletes, the size, the units that he's had with South Africa. You've got the best defensive team in the world there. One, because of the system you put in place, but two, because of the athletes that he's had at his disposal. And you think about all those players, your Peter Stefter toys, you know, Dwayne Vermeulen, your Quagga Smith when he's come off the bench, Sia Khaleesi, Etzebeth. All these boys are monsters and are trained in that way to get off the line and blitz and put teams under pressure. So it will take time for England under a new system, a new coach, but I guarantee he'll stick with it and he'll be wanting more and more line speed, getting off the line, trying to force errors on opposition, and he'll see that as the best way to go. So would you make any changes to that England squad? Oh, You know what? There's argument, Andrew, and I'm a big George Ford fan. I am, the way he plays in attack, but defensively, just, is he big enough? That, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if you're playing against Wales and you've got Nick Tompkins, who we know is a monster carrier, there's talk of George North maybe coming back in the centre. You've got Mason Grady as well coming down that channel. You've got Aaron Wainwright, fucking big ball carrier. You know, you've got some big men coming down that channel. Yeah. Is there an argument to bring in a Finn Smith, who we know is, is a big lad and can bang as well? Yeah, I hear you. I don't think Steve Borthwick will at all. I think that's not even a thought process for him. But you're right. You've got to ask questions of that. But I think he'll go with continuity. Listen, Finn Smith made his first cap at the weekend off the bench. Did reasonably well for the short time he was on. I can't see him changing George Ford at all. I'll tell you what, he does need to change. And that's, you see Joe Marler and I'm, you know people will go, oh, you're just going at Marler here. I'm not. Watch Joe Marler's around a game and you're talking about getting off a line and the speed and all that stuff. To me, watching him, he's like a passenger sometimes. So for me, I think you've got to bring Ellis Genge back in. I, I think he's fit this week. So you start Genji, you've got Abano to come off the bench at loose head. Changes, I thought Sam Underhill was quite quiet. Yeah, There's an argument to put Chandler Cunningham South in there to start because he was explosive when he came on. And, yeah, there is, yeah. And in Underhill's defence, that's his first game for a couple of months at least. He's been out injured. But in terms of competing with the best, you need these bigger athletes and... Chandler Cunningham South is an opportunity to have some sort of spite in a carry and some power and all that stuff. But it's not in Borthwick's DNA. And you're going on back to the point that you made, Jim, around does the forward pack marry up with how the backs are trying to play? And you're right, it's difficult. So you need Ben Earl. Maybe play Ben Earl at seven and bring Don Brandt in at eight so you've got some carrying ability. But I don't think he'll change too much. I really don't. I think... There's talk of Dingwall. People are saying, do you think he, he he came in for a bit of criticism? I think Dingwall should stay in at 12. One argument I could make, and Freddie Stewart played pretty well, but do you play Furbank at fullback to add another layer of excitement? I can't see him making that many changes, but there are a few options for him. I love Freddie Stewart. I'd never do that. I'd put him on the wing, though, if that's the case. But Wales play a different style of game, do they? They're not kicking led first they were when they had Liam Williams and they could put the up and unders and damn bigger you know what I mean so maybe that comes down to a strategy of how the different teams are playing but also on Sam Underhill big Sam Underhill fan and no disrespect to Italy but if you've playing against a South Africa an Ireland a New Zealand which you're not 
Samundahil has to play. Like he has to start. He is chopperoo as physical as they come. He's just not got the attacking, which he did bring into his game before he got injured. The attacking style of game which England are looking for. So yeah, I, nice I think tips. it's about yeah, nice mm. tips like the balance, mm. the kind of standout physical attributes of a Peter Steph toy when he's carrying. So big Samundahil fan. I don't think he'll make many changes though. You you can't change after week one. We're now going to be joined by Italian skipper, massive fan of his, Michele Lamaro. How are you, sir? Ciao, man. No, all good, thanks. Pretty sore from England's game, but no, it's good. Well, it's great to have you, mate. And anyone who's watched thanks. the full contact on Netflix, the Italians love to give us access. Like, you love putting yourselves out there. It's really great to have you. I know you've just played the test match. So to get you on the show, is this a kind of conscious effort from the squad to put yourselves out there and, and do media? It's great to have you. I think generally, like, Italian rugby isn't that known. What we've said in the last few years has been, okay, every single time we have the opportunity to share with each other our passion, our, you know, insight, I think we, we should do that so we can bring a lot more to our fans, to, to our crowd. So, yeah, every single time we have the opportunity, we can we can say something that brings other people into our team. So, yeah, that's the mindset. Obviously, we know the focus still on on the games and everything on the preparation, but it's an important thing, way to talk with uh, with people. Yeah, well, it's, again, it's great to have you, mate, and we really appreciate it. We'll just go straight into the game, and I've had monumental battles against Italy <laughs> in the past, and the kind of Scotland-Italy rivalry will live on forever, but... The game at the weekend against England, we were talking about the physicality, about the line speed, about Manoncello going around fucking monstering people. <laughs> there was a clear mindset from you guys. I know that you didn't win the game and you've heard yeah. the story before about being so close, but off the back of the World Cup, how important was it to get the start against England that you got? Uh, 100%. I think we need we needed to bounce back. First of all, with our franchises, Benetton and Zebra, Obviously, uh, we did it pretty well in, in both teams. I think there were lots of improvements and I think everyone has put themselves in the in the best position to perform well, actually. So this game was actually, yeah, the first one of, of the Six Nations and the first international game after the World Cup. So we we knew we had something we had to show yet. So that was the main the main part of like that sort of mindset obviously we needed to yeah to bounce back as i just said you know to just go for it and just show that what we've built on in the last couple of years didn't just stop in those two games obviously we know very well we didn't perform well but that didn't define us as a group of people so uh, what we needed to show is that what we've done so far is something that has a big and important base where we need to build on, obviously, in the next in the next few years to get those wins where we are very close. Yeah, and you were very close at the weekend. You were leading for large parts of that game at the start. What did yeah. you say as captain after? What was the debrief straight after the game? We still are a little bit inconsistent during the game. We've been actually a little bit better the last few games. Obviously, what we need to work on is, you know, during the whole game during the whole 80 minutes we need to stay focused on our execution on our the way we do things you know and that's the main the main thing i've said to the boys obviously if we can keep that concentration and that focus and then ex that execution for the whole 80 minutes we know we're gonna be in that game and we know we're gonna have a chance more to win it you know sometimes especially in the second half at the start of the second half but even in the first first half the try england scored was obviously a little mistake from outside and i think we we all know that and we all have to be clear that those situations needs to improve because obviously we can concede like those easy tries against those teams because obviously they will take advantage from that. Hmm. So main part of it is stay focused because if we play well, we can be in every single game. Yeah, absolutely. And again, having played against Italy, but also watching from the outside now, watching you as captain, emotion's always there, right? As in the clip went yeah. viral of you as captain, <laughs> the gladiatorial feel of being in Rome that you grew up just over the back of the stadium. Basically, yeah, exactly. you grew up in the Colosseum. How do you manage 
the emotional part to it. And I know this as a player, mate, because I was very emotional and I'd go out there and give away a load of stupid penalties and after 20 minutes I'd be absolutely bollocksed. There's a bit of history in Italy of doing that. You start off games so well, the emotion's there. As captain, as a young captain who's very emotional, how do you balance that out with the emotion and trying to stay razor-focused in the second halves? Well, in my opinion, like emotion are like the base where you build something. So emotion needs to be there. If you are without emotions, then probably everything you do is just passive and you won't like even inspire others to do the same thing as you. So you need to bring those emotions into the game because otherwise you will lose even the little physical battles. You will, you will lose them if you don't have, if you, if you don't have that passion, that, that fire that is inside you. Where does a young Michele Lamaro, where does he take his inspiration from? Where do you take your emotion from? Natural, but is there anyone out there that you take inspiration from that gives you that energy no, and that will? 100%. Like we are, we are a big family, like three brothers and two sisters. We basically grew up from, uh, obviously with my mother and my father, but they were both like really working and you know, growing us. And it's obviously with five kids, it's pretty tough, you know, five to six kids, obviously it's pretty tough. So the way they teach us to live, it's something that uh, always has always inspired me, honestly. What's my biggest aim is to teach my future kids or <laughs> if, if I will ever have like to teach them the way I've been educated. I think that's the most inspiration for me. Like my dad has been Olympic 84 and and 88 so yeah obviously we've always have had that like sports inside us but at the end of the day what counts most is to be the best person you you can be actually so that's my personal biggest inspiration obviously my parents has done everything for all of us and the way they've treated us and the way they've educated us is it's simply unbelievable that's so cool. Your dad was an Olympic man, to quote you, which is yeah. awesome. What what was he? What did he do? Sailing. He did sailing? Yeah. He was sailing in uh, Los Angeles, 1984, and then Seoul, 1988. Oh, I bet he's got some stories oh, about Los yeah, Angeles. He knew, he, he's, he's pretty much passionate. Like He's given me so many tips or, or yeah infos about, especially to, to deal with pressure. And that's mainly like sports, everything. It's all about, like, yeah, dealing with pressure, you know? Yeah, wicked. How is it under Gonzalo Casada? How has he been as a coach? What has he changed since you've been there? I think, like, he's focused a lot on the mindset on we get into the pitch, and obviously that's a big part. We want to fight for a bigger aim. We want to fight for a bigger goal that we are all into it. Yeah, to bring everyone on the same page is obviously one of the most important thing for a team that is that that big, like 23 to 34 players, obviously. So to bring everyone in and to take them on board, to follow this, this bigger aim is one of the most dif difficult things to do. And I think he's been focusing a lot on this and that's, that's something great. Obviously he, he didn't wanted us to, to feel closed in that sort of mind because we've, we've built on a pretty enthusiastic uh, attack inside. So he didn't want it, us to to take it off us because obviously it, it's something that it's not only positive but it's even inspiring people and yeah getting everyone a little bit more happy about the way we play you know and so he didn't want it to take that away from us but at the same time he wanted us to be a little bit more consistent in especially exiting our half and that sort of mindset is something we can build on to be like a little bit more consistent yeah, and even like unpredictable generally. So yes, you can play from your own half. You can do things and you can score like the, the try from Tommaso Allen. But at the same time, that's not your only way to exit your half. You can still play with the kicking game. You can still exit in a more comfortable way. And that's, that's a thing that can create a little bit more of uh, unpredictability. Yeah, well, and you'll know this better than me, but playing teams at the highest level and winning games, you need power. You need power yeah. in the forwards, 100%. which you've got. You need powers in the backs. And we've been talking about Tommaso Menoncello. For me, I, I watched <laughs> him at the weekend. He was phenomenal. Couldn't believe he was 21. 
I've been a big fan of Ignacio Brex as well, but that partnership there. But just tell us a little bit about Manoncello. What is he like? Is he as unbelievable athlete as he looks? Absolutely. He's he's just unbelievable. I couldn't believe that as well, honestly. When I first see him, he was like, I think, 18 or 19. His first game for Benetton, it was, yeah, back in 2020. So he was 18. And he scored the try against Dragons by running like... 55 meters something like that and he, he just mashed the guy and then he runs for 55 meters in at 35 kilometers per hour so he's simply you know an athlete and he trains as an athlete we were doing squat before and he was just smashing me so <laughs> he's just unbelievable honestly as like yeah physicality but then even the way he can work hard on the pitch especially in saturday's game if you see his off-ball work, it's simply unreal. Yeah, and talking of athletes, you head into Dublin at the weekend. We know it's not an easy place to go for any team. They are simply phenomenal at the minute. Yeah. What kind absolutely. of mindset do you go with there? Like, how do you look at a game like that? Six Nations, anything can happen, but they are sensational at the minute. How have you analysed them? They are 100%. There's no doubt that like the game against France was simply... Yeah, really, really phenomenal, as you said. They can keep the ball for 55 phases if you don't put them under pressure into into the breakdown. They can do whatever they want, actually, and they are pretty much physical. So it's it's pretty tough to, to play against them because they put a lot of pressure into your own rocks. And so into there, they are really, they want to keep you in and they want to take off uh, the defenders. So I think the way we need to go there is, trying to dominate every single action we we do and that's obviously uh, starts from the preparation like you know it's gonna be a physical battle you know it's gonna take everything you had to be in that game because otherwise they will take advantage of every single mistake error we we do so the only way to stay into the game is to pick it up and deal it as if it will be uh, a dogfight Lastly, from me, what's the chat with friend of the show, Seb Negri? He's the face of Full Contact Netflix documentary. He is yeah, the face of it, is. just he globally. Like, he likes it as well. Wow, I know. he went to the Premier. He, he had really the white likes teeth, it. white shiny teeth. He had the roll neck as well. He had his <laughs> missus with it. Has he been getting yeah. a bit of shit off you lads or not? I, I always say that, yeah, he, he's obviously, obviously he's been taking a little bit of shit. Because every single time in the gym, he he can see someone. He spots someone with uh, with the camera. He's always going like poker face or like photo face, where mm. got, or <laughs> whatever. So you can see he likes it. I think he's been pretty great, honestly, as well. Oh, that's like, good. Yeah, he's got some some of the actor thing uh, inside. So I think he's the perfect man. But at the same time, he needs to take some some shit from us. So everywhere. The cameras goes, he goes as well, and vice versa. So, yeah, because it's season two they're filming, aren't they? As as Ange Kapowatsu, has he taken centre stage now or not? <laughs> Is he keen to do a bit more? Oh well, let's see. I don't know because they they even last year they filmed quite a lot actually, and then they've selected obviously a tiny part of that. They um, what? So they selected Seb over Ange? Yeah, I think so. Really? I actually, think all so. right. Well, Maybe. fair play, fair play to him. <laughs> as I said he's he's pretty good in acting so mm. I think he, he could be a main character this year as well 100% well McKelly am I saying that right McKelly Michele or do we call is that Michael it's basically Michael in Scottish no, or not it's not actually I got two problems with my name because in Italian every single one will will say Lamaro yeah okay Lamaro Lamaro okay. that's how I say it and actually actually is Lamaro Oh, that's why they were saying Instead it on commentary. They were saying okay. it. So give us your full name, just so we know. The second problem is that in English, Michele, someone says it as Michelle. Yes. And someone says it as Michael or whatever. So actually, full name is Michele Lamaro. Michele Lamaro. Well, thank you very that's much. It. And just before we go, mate, your English is fantastic. Good on you. Like, oh, to come on and, and do it in English is great. And love what you're doing. <laughs> love the you. passion. And I'm sure the results will come really soon, just hopefully not against Scotland, because we're on for a Grand Slam. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one, but that's what we work for. Thank you so much, and thanks for the time. McKelly, legend, mate. Good luck this weekend. Enjoy Dublin and whatever that brings. Cheers, pal. Thank you so much. We will. Thank you.
top lad. Hey, Andrew. No, because his wife, his wife, has gone. He's gone. He's gone. gone. So I took the reins myself. But he's on the dial up. What a legend of a bloke. Yeah, spoke so well. Massive fan of his and Benetton are flying, and he's at the helm of that as well as being Italian captain. Good on him. Loved it. Right, Andrew. We're going to wrap this shit up. And we're going to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sponsored by com For men that more than women that brawl. Are we still sponsored by products that don't arrive at my house? We'll start off with the good then. And there's a lot to get through today, James. We're going to start off with the Men's Rugby Europe Championship. And Georgia, get a shout on the good. They beat Germany 28 points to 17 over in Germany. Romania beat Poland 20 points to 8 away. Spain beat the Netherlands 20 points to 18, again, away from home. But the big one, massive shout out to Belgium because they beat Portugal, who had an amazing World Cup, 10-6 at home. So massive shout out to anyone and everyone involved with Belgium rugby. Over in France, Bordeaux won 37-32 at Toulon on Sunday night. It's a big shout out to Bordeaux. Perpignan beat Racing 26 points to 5, and they're now out at the bottom two. And Stade Francais beat Oyonnax away 23 points to 19, and they have moved top of the top 14. Last one from France, you'll be pleased to know. Cast beat Poe away from home 44-33. So a massive shout-out to all the Cast boys. Munster get a shout-out in the good this week as well. They beat the Crusaders in the URC Champions against the Super Rugby Championships match over in Munster. So big shout out to all the Munster boys and how good was it to see Lee Halfpenny do the hacker. Back to the Six Nations then. Damien Penno gets a shout out in the good this week as well. He passed Serge Blanco and Philippe Seller in the try scoring stakes and is now France's top try scorer in the five slash Six Nations Championship ever. So big shout out to Damien Penneau. Moving on to the Wales side of things. Daffy Jenkins gets a big shout out. His stats were ridiculous. 17 tackles and he hit 39 rucks. Alongside him, Tommy Raffel was outstanding as well. Nine carries, one line break, 11 tackles made. And most importantly, three breakdown steals. So big shout out to Tommy Raffel. But for Scotland, the Finn and Doohan show, they get a shout out in the goo. Two tries created together. So big shout out to Finn and Doohan. And Scotland as a whole, they got their first win in Cardiff since 2002. From an England perspective, Tommy Freeman and Ethan Roots get shout outs. Eight carries for Tommy Freeman, 69 metres made, two clean breaks and a try assist. For Ethan Roots, eight tackles, one steal, nine ball carries, which were all over the gain line with two defenders beaten. So big shout out to Ethan Roots on debut. But it's all about Ireland this week in the goo. Joe McCarthy and Tyg Byrne were monumental in the second row together. Ireland, they're going to get the good. The biggest ever away win in France by a country mile and their biggest win against France in 101 years. So massive shout-out to Andy Farrell, all the Ireland boys. They get the good this week. The bad, few bits of bad. Montpellier, they're going to start off in the bad. They lost at home to La Rochelle and have moved bottom of the top 14. Not been going well since Bernard Laporte took over. What else was bad? Well, this is a bit sad, really. It's not bad, but it's sad. And it's the passing of the king, Barry John. Really sad news coming out of Wales this week. The legend... Barry John passed away, so very sad news. Thoughts with his family and all his friends. What else was bad? Wells' first half performance was pretty bad, as was Scotland's second half discipline. So those two bits get mentioned in the bad, but the bad this week can only go to one place, and that is France. It's their worst home defeat since 1914, and the first time in any Six Nations game that they've conceded five tries at home. They got battered 38 points to 17 And that's why France get the bad this week. And then the ugly. Uh, Only one bit of ugly, really. Fairly, obviously. It goes to Paul Willemse. Firstly, for the clear out on Andrew Porter, which was a yellow card. Tucked shoulder and all that. Tucked arm. But then absolutely blitzing. Friend of the show, Caelan Doris in the face. Straight red card for that in the end. It was given a yellow. And that's why Paul Willemse wins the ugly. Right, let's have a look at some shout-outs. Goody, what have you got? Yeah, a couple of shout-outs. We're going to start off with a massive shout-out to young Oscar, who broke his leg yesterday playing for Sherbourne under-14s against Salisbury. Get well soon, buddy. Yep, Oscar, big shout-out to you as well. Hopefully see you back on the field soon. Yeah, this is a sad one. Actually came in before last week, so we're a little bit delayed in this one. So apologies for that, but it's a big shout-out to Gary Street. 
He won a World Cup with the Red Roses in 2014 and he sadly suffered a stroke due to complications after a quadruple bypass last year. He's currently unable to speak and he'll have to learn to walk again. So after spending five months in four different hospitals, Gary is now under consideration for discharge, which is great to hear. But however, he faces a two-year wait for speech therapy and a four-month wait for physiotherapy. Gary's wife and two sons have set up a GoFundMe page to help the family fund these services so that Gary's recovery can continue immediately when he leaves hospital. If you can help, go to GoFundMe.com and search for Help Streety. And it should be on there. And hopefully the rugby community and people involved in rugby and the RFU get in behind this and give Gary and his family support they need. Yeah, finally, a massive shout out as well to Stu Baker, who takes on a absolutely ridiculous challenge on behalf of Men's Mental Health. For this year's task, he's going to be cycling from Edinburgh to Dublin to Cardiff and then on to Twickenham in just four days on his bike. So massive shout out to Stu Baker for doing a redonkulous challenge, all in the name of mental health. If you want to donate and check out Ian's journey, look up Cycle Away the Stigma. And he's on Facebook to watch his progress as well. So big, massive shout out to Stu Baker. Good luck, buddy. That was a mental challenge for mental health. So good luck. Right, thanks, Goody. Thanks, producer Rob. You're welcome, mate. Do you want to give me a thanks? No. No, you don't need to. You don't need to give me a thanks. But don't forget to check us out on YouTube, especially this Sunday. The Army video's coming out. It drops. It's absolutely amazing. You know when you're pissing yourself at yourself? That's when you know something's (laughs) funny. I'm actually laughing out loud. Yeah with myself and Goody running around looking like idiots. We weren't. I absolutely loved it. So that's out on YouTube on Sunday. Myself and Goody with the British Army. Be the best. But make sure that you've subscribed on YouTube and you're following us and subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spod. Spotted Pod, 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 Pod. (laughs) 